Are you feeling burnt out and disconnected? Do you feel like you're doing all the things to get back in control of your time and energy, but it's not working? Deep down, you know there's more to life than this, but you're not sure how to access it, and you're ready for a strategic shift. Consider joining us for our next round of mastery and or our Mastery Plus business program, where you get personalized one-on-one support, accountability, and mindset training. Visit Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N dot com forward slash mastery, M-A-S-T-E-R-Y. Visit today for details. Have you ever found yourself making the doctor's appointments and the therapy appointments and reading the books for your kids, but you still feel lost and afraid and maybe even disempowered when it comes to seeing and understanding your children's behavior? Are you concerned about their anxiety, their confidence, their ability to step into adulthood, knowing how to emotionally regulate and become independent, confident adults? guess what? I have something for you. This summer, I am starting a program called the Summer of Connection. And this is where parents not only learn how to manage their own big emotions so that they can deepen their connection with their children from a relationship standpoint, but you are also going to learn how to help your children cope with their big emotions, anger, anxiety, and overwhelm. There's things happening deeper underneath, and I have had more questions in my DMs from parents asking me about their children's emotional behavior than I've ever had in the last decade of my career. If you're interested in joining us for the Summer of Connection to help you help your children, head on over to heatherchauvin.com forward slash summer and fill out the application. As a former social worker and a mother of three, I understand the overwhelm and also the determination to help our children thrive. I look forward to reading your application. That's Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com forward slash summer. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You had me on your show, Mind Over Macros, and I was so excited to have that conversation with you and your community. I wanted to invite you to Emotionally Uncomfortable, but I said you're only allowed to be here if you're willing to get emotionally uncomfortable and vulnerable. And you said, sure, I'm an open book. Um, So welcome. You know, I know there's um, a lot of overlap with our communities in the sense that there's a, there's something inside of them that wants to be birthed, that wants to come out. And oftentimes we kind of feel like we're, we're trapped in our physical bodies or our mental bodies. Um, and today I'm really excited to have this conversation about, you know, goal achievement, you know, why some of them, you know, some people achieve it, why they don't. But before we dive into that, can you just tell a little bit about your story and kind of what gets you excited about what we're going to dive into today and where you came from? Yeah. So I think for me, it really started 
when I had no idea that I was going to be in this field or doing what I do and coaching people and, you know, in health and fitness and wellness, you could call it. And uh, so it, it started because I grew up an athlete. I played sports my whole life, but I was exposed to diet culture and disordered eating from a very young age. I remember my mom always counting points, always being on a diet. Uh, I was you know, eighties, nineties, baby, where it was like the reduced fat, everything and, you know, spray butters and all of that stuff. And, and then my oldest sister, I have two older sisters. So I'm the youngest of three and my oldest sister almost lost her life to anorexia. And at some point in time, I witnessed a lot of disordered eating in my family dynamic. And I've thought, well, I play sports, I'm active. I've got the fast metabolism. I'm the lucky one. And then I went off to college and I picked up some typical college kid habits where I was eating a lot of you know fast food and I was drinking a lot. And once I stopped playing sports, I gained weight very rapidly. And it was one of those things that, of course, it didn't happen overnight, but it truly felt like it. I can remember the morning getting out of bed, going into the bathroom, looking, out my, looking at myself in the mirror and being like, I don't know who this person is. And it was, to me, hindsight, it was really an identity crisis because I had so much of my identity wrapped up into sports. And so that was how I made friends. That was how I connected with people. I'm naturally pretty introverted. And uh, so it was like, how do I get back to being me? And my thought process was I get back to being me by dropping all of this weight as fast as I can, because I didn't want to go see friends that I hadn't seen in a while. And I didn't want to see family that I hadn't seen in a while. And I, I started to create all these scenarios about what they would say and, you know, how did you let this happen? And how did you let yourself go? And there was all these stories in my head. So I was like, all right, I have to get the weight off so that I can get back to being me and get back on a basketball court and get back to my friends. And I went down the path of severe restriction in trying to eat as little as possible, trying to do as much cardio as possible. And that led me to the kind of diet hamster wheel where I would lose a significant amount of weight, like 70, 80 pounds. And then gain a bunch of weight and then lose it and gain it and just round and round it went. And I was so frustrated that I kind of hit this like rock bottom point where all of the things that I had witnessed in my family that I was aware of that I thought that I was avoiding all came to fruition. Horrible relationship with food, horrible relationship with my body. I remember being my absolute leanest, like like I was basically emaciated and looking at myself in the mirror and picking apart every problem area and just hating myself. And I had a horrible relationship with exercise and it just was my tipping point because it was impacting relationships. It was impacting the people that were closest to me. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm smart enough. I feel like I can, I can do this. I can figure this out. And that led me on the journey of, of trying to heal and, get better and, and feel okay with myself again and, and kind of rediscover who I am and who I want to be. And that got me into nutrition and fitness and training and working with people and kind of figuring out my own stuff. I recognize that so many people struggle with the same thing where we think it's just a physical pursuit. If I can just control my diet and control my exercise, then I'm going to achieve this goal and it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows when I get there. Uh, and I had to realize the hard way that no matter what, every time I hit a benchmark, every time I hit a new low on the scale, it was never good enough. I always pushed the goalpost back further. It was never going to be enough. And I had to really get internal with it. And working with people, I recognized that the struggles were all the same. It was like seeing my reflection, like I'm I'm coaching the the younger version of me 
And so that's why I'm so passionate about it. And that, you know, is, is kind of the, as condensed as I can make it version of, of why I'm doing what I'm doing now. I know. And people are always like, tell me, you know, how you got to where you are. You're like, oh my gosh, we only have limited time. Um, so what I'm hearing you say is it's really like a health, like a holistic approach to nutrition and exercise. Now, it sounds like, you know, we grew up with the same or similar, um, like diet culture, like eighties and nineties, where it's just like in your face, right. Constantly. And we don't understand or don't realize that these things are affecting us. And I remember, um, I think I mentioned this on your podcast, but I grew up leanish. I was not, I did not identify as an athlete and now trying to identify or trying to absorb that identity. But because I wasn't big and I'm using air quotes, people would be like, why are you wanting to work out? Why are you wanting to focus on nutrition? And it's because my mental health was struggling and nobody ever had that conversation. So how did you like, yes, you like, how did you get to a breaking point where you were like, this is an issue rather than like, well, this is just the way it is. Like, what was that tipping point for you? Like, do you remember a moment where you were like, oh, this is not healthy? Yeah, I do. Actually, I was married at the time. And I remember my wife at the time and I, we would go out, we would be social, we would travel. And as I became more and more obsessed and and actually orthorexic, which was just an over obsession with clean eating, whatever that definition was for me at the time. So I would go out and I would try to order like a salad with nothing on it. Just give me like the lettuce and grilled chicken, but don't cook it in oil or butter, anything like that. And um, I was so hyper-focused on food that it impacted the relationships that were closest to me. So I do remember sitting at our house and my wife at the time was like, Hey, let's go out for dinner. And I was like, I don't feel like looking through all of these menus and picking a place. And she's like, don't you find that to be strange that you won't even like, you can't even comfortably go out to dinner. And we kind of got into an argument and I got defensive. And, um, and prior to that, I had lunch with my sister who, the one that I mentioned who almost lost her life to anorexia. And now she's an eating disorder specialist, a therapist that specializes in eating disorders. And, uh, she asked me if I had heard of orthorexia, she's like, I, you know, there's, there's some signs and I'm, I'm concerned. And once again, I got really defensive and then it was like, the third thing, like it always has to happen in threes was a couple, you know, some of my high school friends were, were going out and I started to panic because I told them that I would go out with them. And I know, I knew what the night was going to look like. And it was like, and I'm actually getting goosebumps as I kind of retell this story, because I started to think about what am I going to do if I, if I drink and it throws me off track and my nutrition is going to be a mess. And so I made up a lie and I said, you know, last minute, I'm not feeling well, I'm sick. And I remember staying home with like my chicken and broccoli, having created an argument with my wife at the time, remembering what my sister had told me and missing out on life. And I'm like, what am I doing? What is like all the things that bring me joy, family, relationships, friendships, like I want to experience the world. I want to do things. And I'm sitting on my couch by myself and all the people that are closest to me, I'm, I'm pushing them away. And that was kind of the the rock bottom moment of if I continue down this path, it's just going to be me and nobody else. It's going to be me and my chicken. And I don't want it to just be me and my chicken and broccoli. I want people in my life and I want to experience the world and, and actually do things that light me up. And 
uh, that was, that was kind of the beginning step of crawling out of that hole. Okay. I'm sure so many people can be like, oh crap. And they can see themselves in that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like nutrition or your physical body. There's many areas where we're pushing people out, but I want to go back to that moment. Number one, I find it doesn't matter that orthorexia, like it's interesting because people also dive into the personal development world and it's, it can be toxic as well, where you're trying to like overachieve, right? You're bringing your like current self to that. You're like the perfectionism comes out. And when you were telling that story of like, oh, I was going to go out with my friends and I was getting worried. There's a fine line there between maybe those people are no longer aligned with who you want to become versus how can I be myself like who I want to be in relationship with those people, right? Because you can't just cut out everyone, but it's like, how do I sit in a room or go to a social event that is that is something that brings me joy and knowing that me and my friend or whoever it is may have different lifestyle choices, but I'm confident in that. So I'm curious your perspective about that, because there's a fine line there of like, they're out of alignment. And I actually just have to let go of this versus like, oh, this is causing me so much stress and I'm causing this stress in my life. Completely. And I love this topic because a lot of people, when they work with me or anyone on my team, they think that they're coming into the process of training and nutrition. Like, okay, you're going to teach me how to exercise. You're going to tell me what exercises to do. And you're going to tell me how to eat for my goals. And it's so much more complex than that because humans are way more complex than that. So I try to tell them right out of the get-go, like, this is not just a physical process. This is emotional. This is environmental. This is social. This is psychological. This is everything. And one variable will impact all of the other variables. And a lot of times the social dynamic or the environmental dynamic is the sticking point for a lot of people being in a toxic environment that is not conducive to the person that they want to become or being in social relationships or even intimate relationships with um, that are not conducive to the person that they want to become. So I completely agree. I think that there, you know, you have to make some difficult decisions. Uh, are these people that you have to end the relationship? Are these people that you want to like nurture the relationship or are these people that you want to edit the relationship? And, and a lot of times when it's a close family member and you recognize that like, we just don't see eye to eye or whenever we talk about a specific topic, it gets, it gets toxic. And, you know, we're just going to edit this conversation because you're your family and I don't want to remove you from my life, but we just know that like this one thing, we have to kind of edit the dynamic of our conversations. Um, but for certain people, I think it, you do have to make that, that call yourself to say, are these really the people that are, are supporting who I want to become or who I am? Um, and if, if they're not, then it's always a tough conversation to have or a tough transition to make. But I think that is something that, you know, really is an important thing to just take inventory of, um, the people that you surround yourself with have a huge impact on goal achievement, on how you feel about yourself. And, um, so it is one of those areas that there is a fine line. Mm -hmm. Uh, fortunately I feel very confident in like the, the friends that I have, if, if we go out and I'm like, Hey, I'm not drinking tonight. They're like, great. Let's, let's just enjoy the night. Like there's no, there's no pushback. Uh, and so I think that when you, it, it's also important to recognize that when somebody does push back, it's often a projection 
And a lot of times they see the reflection, the mirror that you're holding up because you're acting in alignment. And when you show up and you're confidently yourself and you're making these decisions without question and you just know this is who I am. And then they see that reflection back and it's it can come across as they're angry at you or, or something along those lines, but it's really just a projection of their own insecurities that you're kind of shining that flashlight on. And they're like, wait, no, I don't want the light there. So they get that, the wall goes up. Uh, and, and oftentimes it's, it has nothing to do with you. It just has to do with, you know, they have their own internal work to do. Um, so my long-winded way of saying, I completely agree. It is a fine line and we just have to really um, take inventory of, of whether these things are serving us or not. Um. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes other people can't answer those questions for us. It's like, we have to put ourselves in the situation and say, am I ready to like re-enter this? And what I like that you're talking about is seems like everything is a relationship and relationship with self relationship with food, your body, other people. So I, um, I think I may have mentioned this to you on your episode on your podcast. I, maybe I didn't, but a few years ago when I was going through my nutrition, I'm using air quotes, my nutrition, um, transformation, really the bucket of my life of wanting to dig deeper into nutrition and nourish my body and release some physical weight. One of my fears was like, I could physically feel it. Like as my body was letting go of the weight, I could, I was scared because people were starting to make comments. Right. But one of my fears was I was actually doing it for health reasons. Like I wanted to feel better, but people were commenting on how I physically looked. And I had a fear that I was actually buying into diet culture because I was so afraid of buying into diet culture that I started counting macros and then people are like, that's diet culture. And I'm like, well, it's working right now. And I want to find the like balance of that. So how do you talk to your clients about that? Cause that itself is a huge mind game where I'm trying to develop the habits of the identity of becoming this type of person. But what if I'm just subconsciously or secretly still buying into diet culture? Like that is the mind game. How do you answer that question? Yeah, I love that question. Uh, so part of the work is understanding where it's coming from. And what I mean by it is the desire, the core desire of what you're pursuing. And I'll never just accept a face value surface level answer of, I want to lose 20 pounds. Okay, great. Why do you want to lose 20 pounds? What does that mean to you? Is that your goal? Or do you feel like there's been any pressure societally or from a parent figure or something along those lines? And a lot of times, once we start to unpack that, uh, people will, will realize, our clients will realize that, yeah, you know what? There has been a lot of pressure from a very young age. My mom put me on a diet when I was eight years old or 10 years old. And we hear some, some horror stories about diet culture and the influence. And the first thing is trying to help them understand that, uh, you know, your, your parents were doing the best that they could. They were doing what they thought was right and to allow some level of forgiveness to happen. And then really just getting into like, what do you want? Like, what is your core desire? What is your North star? Who is that person that you want to become? What do they look like? How do they communicate? What do they do on a daily basis? What are the habits that they have? How do they deal with setbacks? So we really get into that vision of the future self. And once we have that, now we're pursuing 
less about the number and more about the person, the identity, who you want to become. And what's nice about that is it can look different for everybody, but it's so process focused and it is more about how these things make you feel. Yeah. And it's no longer about, is this, you know, tracking macros is, can be a part of the plan. Um, for some people, it can be obsessive and it can create stress and it just depends on the individual. So it's not inherently diet culture or non-diet culture. It's really the context around it and the individual and how it's affecting them or impacting them. Um, I think that there's often a hypocrisy of people who say, well, you shouldn't try to change your body. Um, but telling them that is in a, in effect telling them to change their body because if they feel like they would be healthier, more comfortable in a, at a different weight or a different, you know, doing different things from a healthy habit perspective, then telling them to just ignore those things and to stay the same is in effect telling them to change. So I think that it, it really gets down to the individual and where it's coming from and, and that core desire of who they want to become. And then we, we turn it into the process. It's, it's the things that you do on a daily basis that make you feel better, that are in alignment with the person you want to become. And then there's no doubt when, when it's like, yeah, I, I go for a walk every morning because that's what the future version of me does every day. And I want to start becoming that person. And I love how it makes me feel to start my day by getting outside in nature and, you know, getting out for a walk and whatever it may be for each person or the foods that I choose. These are foods that nourish me and they make me feel my best. So yes, I'm going to eat this way forever. Even when it comes to like, oh, I'm going to continue to have my like pizza night or ice cream with my family because this is nourishing my relationships and my connection with my kids or whatever it may be. Now we start to put the process pieces in place and we celebrate the process versus the outcome. And that kind of reframe um, helps to kind of separate when something is toxic, when something is part of diet culture versus we know it's coming from this individual has a goal. They have something that they want to achieve because it's, it's their core desire and nobody else's and nobody gets to tell them what their goals should or shouldn't be. Well, you know, I'm all for this because that's, I love this. Like, how do you want to feel and, and getting clear on that and looking within, I personally have had to do a lot of, um, discernment. Cause I would say the nutrition aspect and the fitness aspect is not, I wouldn't say it's not something I'm confident. In. It's not my area of expertise. It's like my personal behind the scenes passion to live a healthy life. Like I do look at everything from like a longevity health perspective, but it's fascinating because it's like, if you have like a sliver of insecurity, like I can walk into a gym and everyone has an opinion about if I'm doing something right or wrong, or I could be eating a meal. And that to me is absolutely exhausting. So I have had to distance myself or physically put up boundaries around certain people. Um, and I can watch how like the influence of their energy on like, I don't want to explain myself to you. And I've even had to um, like, I've had a few coaches over the last few years and my whole world is coaching. So like, sometimes I feel coached out where I'm like, I don't want to be held accountable to everything. And so the last coach that I hired, I said, listen, I'm going to be a very resistant client because I'm trying to do this from a healthy, flexible progress, not perfection place. 
And I do find sometimes coaching can be, it's like that fine line of when to push yourself, like you're in resistance versus like, just keep at the process. Because if you are really truly going to identify and become some type of person, like your future self, it is the mundane, boring shit of like eating, moving, and you're not getting that high. So can we dive in a little bit of like, quote unquote, goal achievement and process? Because every day you're living your life, you have those tiny habits that you're rooting for your future self. But when you're doing them, you're like, ah, that's not going to make a big difference. Ah, that walk today is not going to make a bit. If I miss the gym today, if I don't eat that way. So like, how do you answer that question? Yeah. So a lot of times that mindset is, is very transactional when you think about, well, if I go for a five minute walk and, and a five minute walk has been shown to have incredible health benefits as well as cognitive benefits. So uh, we make better decisions. Like there was a really cool study that was done and it was just a five minute outdoor walk when it came to like decision-making and the things making decisions in alignment with your goals and just a five minute walk improves your ability to make decisions that are in alignment with your goals. So five minute walk seems like nothing. If you're keeping this as like a transactional equation, like if this, then that, if I do this five minute walk every day, then I'm going to see movement on the scale, for example. Um, that's a very flimsy foundation because you can't really control the scale. There are certain things that you can do, but the actual number on a day-to-day basis and how it all happens and how fast your body releases weight and all that stuff is largely out of your control. So it can get frustrating. And it's like, well, why am I doing this if I'm not seeing the immediate outcome? Uh, So what we do is we just acknowledge and we have this powerful chemical that our bodies and brains, our brains produce called dopamine. And dopamine is there's the dark side of it, which is when I am thinking about a goal, when I'm thinking about like the perfect future for myself and I'm thinking about, oh, I have this, you know, multi-million dollar business or I have the perfect body. It creates just the thought of that goal creates a dopamine hit and it's a powerful chemical so that when we start to pursue the goal, you mentioned it gets boring. It's mundane. It, it's not super exciting. You're not going to see progress on a huge scale on a day-to-day basis. So a lot of times people will self-sabotage subconsciously to bring themselves back to square one so they can then dream about the goal and get the dopamine hit again. And that becomes a a feedback loop of, I, I start doing the work, I get bored and frustrated, I sabotage, I go back to square one, and then I think about how perfect my body's going to look next year or whatever it may be. Um, So what we do is we try to use dopamine for positive reinforcement, which is when you do the five minute walk, you just take a moment to acknowledge it and to congratulate yourself in whatever way that looks like for you. Just the simple act of being like, you know what? I said I was going to do this today and I got it done. That will create a small dopamine hit or having something in your calendar that you check off. The walk is done. You do add a little check. It actually um, gets a little bit of a bigger hit if you, if it's, a physical act of writing versus like something in your computer or your phone, you have your notes, but even just, let's say it's in your notes and your phone and you just put the little green check box next to it, that will solidify the process. I did what I said I was going to do. And all you're doing is you're stacking up confidence and and self-esteem that when you say you're going to do something, you do it no matter what. Um, And it is those little tiny habits that stack up over time that do lead to the outcome 
But once you start becoming processed focused and you start reinforcing those things, you really, it's like 80% of your attention is on the process and like 20%, you kind of see the, the outcome or the goal out there, but you're not too concerned with it. And, and that's really, it's just kind of mentally retraining yourself to mm-hmm. stop thinking in that transaction transactional state and to start acknowledging the process goals that you set for yourself and keeping them small. There's, there's this optimal place where if it's too challenging, you'll get frustrated. If it's too easy, you'll get bored and everybody's graph looks a little bit different. So it's fine knowing with each individual, like where that sweet spot is. Um, and then you will feel that dopamine reward of, I said, I was going to do this and I got it done. And that small acknowledgement will reinforce the habit. Um, and so that's the process over a long period of time. And, and then there, we can talk a lot about what happens through, you know, failure and setbacks and, and how we make decisions. But uh, when it comes to setting up a foundation, a baseline level that's going to serve you forever, that's how it is. That's how it works. It's it's the small little tiny habits and just reinforcing and acknowledging them over time. Um, I always say that we need to learn how to celebrate when bad shit doesn't happen uh, because we celebrate the 50 pounds of weight loss, the hundred pounds of weight loss, the million dollar, we hit this benchmark revenue. But when we just have a day where like we get through the day and bad shit didn't happen, like that's worth celebrating as well. We don't ever celebrate the person who never had a hundred pounds to lose to begin with because they were proactive versus reactive. We don't celebrate the proactive person. We celebrate the, the massive change, which is great. We can acknowledge those things, but we also need to learn how to acknowledge that we did what we said we were going to do and we were proactive and, you know, we, we made this tiny goal for ourselves and we accomplished it. And that, and that's really how you build um, kind of that resiliency through it all. I don't know when I started transitioning from like, you know, that saying of it's not the goal, it's the destination, like it's the journey of who you become. And so I'm like, yeah, have your vision, have your goal, but I'm not attached to it. Like I truly am of like, who do I need to become in order to get there? My challenge now is when people are so focused on the goal, like even when I'm hiring a professional and they're like, well, what weight do you want to be? And I'm like, I don't care. Like for me, it's a feeling and it's a season and it's like, where am I? I want to feel nourished, alive, energized, um, or even in business. Like, I know it's never about the actual goal. It's always about who you become. It's the identity. It's all the inner work that's required in order to achieve that. And I specifically remember I was, I was running a marathon like a few year, few years ago. And I did that avoidance. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to train. I'm just going to avoid, avoid, avoid. And then I'm going to show up and be like, Oh, look at me. Yeah. I ran a marathon today and I didn't train at all for it because then I couldn't fail. Then the second year I was like, I actually don't care. I'm just, I want to cross the finish line. I'm not attached to time, but I committed to the training, nutrition and movement. And I did not have a goal. My goal was to commit to the training imperfectly. And that scared the shit out of me. Curious your thoughts on that, because I find when people are like, committed, like all the work that I do with people so emotional that they're like, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. I'm like, well, you have to feel your feelings. So I'm curious, like, what do you think happens in the brain from those two examples that I just gave you? Yeah. When you get too attached to the goal, uh, again, you're setting yourself up for frustration. Um, there, there's a great, um, I think it's a proverb, but basically it's like two, two guys who are neighbors 
um, go outside every single morning and they plant trees. And the one neighbor, uh, we'll call him Joe, like all he, all he wants is a 50 foot tree. Like that's his life's mission is I need a 50 foot tree. And, and Jim, the other neighbor just loves planting and nurturing his trees. Like that's what lights him up every day. He just loves the process. Um, and so every morning they go out, they look at their trees, they say hello to each other, they tend to them and, and they're both growing. They're both up to, you know, 10, 15 feet, 20 feet. And then one day a tornado comes through and decimates their properties and uh, the trees are gone. Everything's a mess. Um, Joe, who all he wanted was a 50 foot tree, can't bear the thought of starting back at here. He was so close. He was almost halfway there. And now this unforeseen event happened and he can't do it. And he turns around and uh, Jim goes out the next morning and Joe's not there. And he's like, well, I can't wait to get started on planting my tree again because he's so embedded in the process. He loves the act of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're, when you're that attached to a goal, uh, it really can be a frustrating endeavor because you're always looking at when am I, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And it sets yourself up for frustration and our brains will kind of attach to that and then tell you like, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Which what you're interpreting is I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. I, you know, I can't do this whenever like life is going to happen. Right. And so I always say that there's, there's two things that have, have remained undefeated, which is time and randomness, meaning that time has always passed and random things have always happened. So like the randomness of a tornado coming through, like random things will always happen. Time has always passed. We don't want to fight against those things. And the way that we fight against them, they're undefeated. So if we play against them, we're destined to lose. When we fight against them, it looks like I need to lose 30 pounds in six months. I've set a hard deadline. I've set a firm goal. And it's like, I'm so committed to this. But what happens when the tornado, using air quotes, but the tornado of you know an illness in the family or a loss of a loved one, or your dog gets sick, or you have an issue with your kid, or you are stressed out at work, you lose your job. Now, all of a sudden you didn't account for randomness and you're so committed to this timeline, but things aren't happening because you're super stressed out. And now it's like, why even bother? Mm -hmm. Uh, If you want to play with time and randomness, you say, I'm going to fall in love with this process. I know that the tornadoes are going to happen and I'm here for it because I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to adjust and I'm just going to keep going because I love the process and the pursuit. And I don't have a deadline. I don't have a finish line. I'm just going to invest in the process and however long it takes is however long it takes. And I'm going to be on this journey forever. Um, so I think when you're, when you're so married to a goal, um, it's, it's great to set targets. It's nice to have those little checkpoints along the way that you say, I really would like to achieve this, but we can't get so attached to it that we allow ourselves to get frustrated when the tornado hits. Mm-hmm. I also find that the more attached we are to the goal I mean, that if we can observe ourselves, it's more of like chasing our value or just the obsession of trying to control something externally. I tell people all the time, you know, when you quote unquote feel out of control, they're like, I want to feel in control. And I'm like, control is not a feeling. Like, what is it that you're actually after? Like, you're trying to control people or situations externally because there's something internally. And if you keep trying to control the external, like, yeah, you, you may want a calmer, peaceful home. You may want more money in your bank account so that you're like, okay, you know, something happens. I can inhale and exhale, 
But at the end of the day, you still need to know how to manage your fear. You still need to know how to manage your anxiety. So um, for you, Mike, when like you told me the story of when you were like, okay, shit needs to change. Do you remember when your identity kind of flip-flopped of like, you're still doing the physical, you're still like, you know, embodying the athlete um, mindset and lifestyle and your future self. But when you were like, oh, wow, I'm actually committed to the process now and I'm not so obsessed with the outcome. Yeah, I I would say that that was a a gradual shift for me. Um, It definitely wasn't like a moment where it hit me. And um, I had, you know, fortunately, I had some really great mentors that that helped me through that process that would identify when I was, you know, trying to shortcut the process or I was frustrated because things weren't happening fast enough. And, you know, just I started to learn the hard way and identifying patterns. I think that's the one thing when when it comes to self-awareness, which I think is the greatest gift in the world, if if we could be more aware of our own patterns and blind spots and you know, that, that was really like, I started going to therapy for that exact reason. I was like, I know that there's other blind spots that I have and I want to be more proactive about it. So, um, but I, I just started to notice that the patterns that existed were patterns of trying to rush the process or being way too goal focused. And, you know, I am that way where like, I have an obsessive personality. I will, I tend to get really into something. And once like, I have my sights set on this goal. I'm going to do whatever I can. And there's, there's the gift and the curse to that. And, uh, it, it allows me to, to do the work and be consistent, but it also comes with a cost of shutting out a lot of other areas of my life and burning myself out. And then like picking myself up one day off the floor and being like, what am I even doing right now? Um, so it was just a gradual kind of self-awareness, recognizing patterns that were existing and then slowly changing the way that I was approaching things. So the identity shift really happened over time. And as I started coaching other people, there was a lot of uh, imposter syndrome that I had to go through. There was a lot of kind of doing things for other people because I thought nobody's going to hire me if I don't look a certain way or if I don't present myself a certain way. And Um, When I was able to like release all of those expectations and pressures on myself and I could just be me, that was when my business took off. That was when my, my personal life improved, my relationships got better. And once you see that, when you feel that and you're like, man, I don't like, I can just do this because it makes me feel good about myself. And the most important thing is how I feel about myself when I'm by myself. And if I use that as my North star, everything else seems to work out and it, it seems to fall into place. And so uh, I would say that that identity, identity shift or that process shift was more of a gradual thing over time, just through a lot of difficult lessons. I appreciate the gradual over time because again, I think some people are like, okay, I give this eight weeks. <laughs> like it's going to change. I, I like to reflect back and be like, who was I this time last year? Or who was I a few years ago? And I'm like, Holy crap. Like that would have triggered me or I would have never done that. Um, and I would like to ask you like a, I guess it would be considered a vulnerable question, but I know myself, sometimes I find this, the quote unquote smarter I get, meaning like I'm doing something over and over again, the, I hate the term imposter syndrome, but self-doubt sometimes gets bigger. So it's sitting with that duality of like the, the discomfort never goes away. And then when you're too comfortable, but you know, logically, okay, I'm comfortable. Now I need to challenge myself. 
it, it seems like it's just having the self-awareness to truly know yourself. Um, but what does that look like for you today when you're constantly trying to improve, but also have compassion? Yeah. Um, I've really had to learn. I think one of the things that I picked up uh, from childhood really was just poor emotional processing um, and not really dealing with uncomfortable emotions. I was more of the stuff it down and bottle it up and hope that it goes away. And um, that never played out well. And again, that was you know a huge thing for, for me with going to therapy was understanding how to sit in the uncomfortable feelings and listen to them and acknowledge them and make friends with them and ride the wave and, and recognizing that emotions come and go and kind of just watching them like the clouds, they pass by, but also really feeling like, where do I feel this in my body? What is this trying to teach me? Uh, what is it trying to communicate to me? And then what am I trying to communicate to it? And that was really like the prompts that I would use because it gave me the final say to, to in terms of what do I actually do about this? So when, when I am learning new skills and I am kind of like trying to master certain materials and feel very competent at times, I also realize how much I don't know. And the more, you know, the more you realize that you don't know, yeah. and it can be that, that difficult, like, Oh my God, I actually know very little, like in the, about this topic, how am I going to come on a podcast and talk about it? And that fear I'm able to sit with it and just sit in that uncomfortable feeling and be like, okay, where do I feel it? What is this trying to tell me? Identify what is it? What is it trying to tell me? And then what am I trying to tell it? And then I get to have that last say like, Hey, I hear you. And I understand you're trying to keep me safe, but I actually feel like this message would help a lot of people. So we're going to go and deliver it anyway. And, and then it's just that, that ability to make peace with it and, and then take the action that you feel like is in alignment with yourself. Yeah. I, yeah, it's like the co-creation. Like I remember when I used to believe, okay, when I get over this, when this fear goes away, then I will. And it's the same as like, when I lose the weight, then I will. It's, you got to learn to co-create. So Mike, I truly appreciate your approach to physical health and um, nutrition and movement and all of that. So where can people find you and um, yeah, give them all the things. For sure. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, anyone can listen to my podcast. It's called Mind Over Macros. It's on every podcast platform. Um, and and just a quick shout out to you. Um, I, I loved our conversation uh, that we had on my show. I actually was at a conference a couple of weeks ago and somebody asked me like, who's your favorite guest? And I was like, I can't pick just one. Like, But I just got connected with Heather Chauvin and like I had no expectations. I didn't, I didn't know that it was going to be such an impactful conversation. I always go in with an open mind. Like I can't wait to learn from this person. And, um, our conversation was really one of my favorites. So I appreciate that. Um, and then I hang out on Instagram at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And, uh, those, those are the best place, like pretty much anything that I do, I post on Instagram and, uh, the podcast is my favorite form of communication. So that those are the best places to find me. Awesome. Mine too. And what, like, who's your average client? Like, who do you typically attract? Um, what types of people do you work with? Yeah. So most of our clients are women um, over 40. And I think uh, just because of my own personal story, that seems to be who connects the most with it. Just understanding like the diet hamster wheel and the constant, you know, restricting yourself and eating as little as possible and trying to always be smaller. And um, for some reason that just was like the the person or the avatar that kind of connected 
with my journey and my story the most. So um, I would say probably 80% of our clients are women over 40, but um, we have clients, we have, we have men, women, all different ages, but that seems to be our, our primary client. They're always the ones like who see, you know, parts of our stories, which is like, yes, yes, yes. Because usually I always say like, you just, you're done with the BS. When you're done with the BS, you're ready to like, you're like, I want the goal or the feeling or whatever I'm after. I want to feel better. Um, but I also want support in that direction. That's in alignment with my values. So Mike, this has been such a fun conversation. Thank you for being you. And everyone needs to go listen to you on your podcast um, and connect with you if they feel called to. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. Did you know you're my favorite? I love my podcast listeners and I want to get to know you better. So I would love for you to head on over to Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com forward slash chat. This is a way for you to text me, to send me a video, um, and to connect with me. So maybe there's something that I said on the podcast, or maybe I might say to you, go text me the word and I'll tell you a word. That's where we're going to do it. So I want you to be able to connect with me. Tell me what other episodes you want me to talk about, um, what your biggest takeaway and aha moment was. This is all about community. So head on over to heatherchauvin.com forward slash chat. Let's get to know each other. Why are you here? What's your biggest takeaway? What type of supports are you seeking? Who do you want me to interview next? heatherchauvin.com forward slash chat. C-H- In March, we celebrate International Women's Day, and we also celebrate the anniversary. This year is the third year anniversary of my book coming out into the world, Dying to Be a Good Mother, How I Dropped the Guilt and Took Control of My Life and My Parenting. And as a thank you for being a part of this community, I wanted to gift you the e-reader version of my book. So if you head on over to Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com forward slash free, F-R-E-E book, um, you will be asked to enter your name and your email, and then you're going to be gifted a code where you can enter this into the e-reader of your choice, and you can gift this to a friend. You can send them to the page, um, and that's my gift to you. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being a huge part of this community. I just love and appreciate you listening and interacting, um, and I would also love if you share this link with a friend, post it on the internet, do all the things and tag me. March is about celebrating us and empowering not only ourselves, but other women around us and the women before us and the women um, next to us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.